Uh, g'day, everyone. Welcome to another Tune Under podcast, the Southern Hemisphere's biggest and highest ranked podcast for all things Newcastle United. Tonight, we are discussing the big Arsenal game on the weekend, second versus third. And to do that, I'm joined by Dimmy, my fellow Victorian. How are you, my friend? Pretty good, mate. Uh, trying to keep dry. I uh, didn't have a hit of tennis tonight, which was unfortunate. Um, it was shocking weather here in Melbourne this this evening and really all day. So it's been a bit uh, a bit nasty outside, but uh, can't wait for to talk about this game. It's a massive game, and uh, hopefully we can do over the Gunners again, just as we did last year. And instead of ruining their Champions League hopes, maybe we'll ruin their title hopes. <laughs> Yes. Um, yeah, so the Arsenal game, it is a 4.30 kickoff uh, in the UK, which is live on Sky. Eddie's Sky Sports mags are, are back on deck again. It's a nearly the graveyard shift here, one thirty on a Monday morning AM, which is pretty stinky. Um, but to talk about the Arsenal game, we're joined by Scott from It's a Football Thing podcast. He's based in Sydney. Scott, how are you tonight, my friend? Yeah, doing well. It's always funny to hear someone from Melbourne complaining about the weather. Um, it's like, what, what, what do you expect, man? It's, yeah. it's part and parcel. But no, look, do, doing well. Obviously, a bit of a bumpy stage in the season for Arsenal. But, mate, always happy to embarrass Chelsea a little bit. I'm sure we can all agree on that. Yeah. Absolutely. So, yeah, you would have had the uh, alarm set earlier this morning for the 5 a.m. Mm. kickoff, the uh, Arsenal-Chelsea game. Um I speak, yeah, like you said, it is funny. We can all laugh at Chelsea of how That's right. shit they've been at the moment. Just laugh at Lampard, sure. really. Yeah. <laughs> just, just keep laughing um, at them. Yeah. His um, record is one of a kind. Yeah. We all thought Steve Bruce was bad, and then you see Frank Lampard's record, and he actually makes Bruce look like Guardiola. Like, it's actually frightening how bad he is. Bruce but, um, Yeah. How how was it? Are they as, are they as bad as their results? Yeah, look, they're, they're pretty dreadful, but to be fair, um, they kind of shaped up a little bit. They started to push a bit more late in the second half. Um, they were much more impressive than the first. The first half, they were shambolic. And, and look, something's not right there. You, you just look at that club. And one of the boys on the podcast, one of the co-hosts, RJ's big Chelsea fan. I've had radio silence from him all day, but you know, the, the, even like, like lifelong fans just can't get their heads around what's going on at that club. It's it's almost the opposite of our two clubs, boys, where there's a culture that seems to be right at the moment, and everyone's thriving in that. Everyone's confident. You go into games looking forward to it. They're the complete opposite of where our two clubs are at at the moment, and. It's funny to imagine that they're doing that after dropping what six hundred million or what, whatever it was. It, it's yeah. just mental, mental. It's frightening. But that 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 it just it's the old saying, isn't it? A, a champion team will always beat a team of champions. So, mm. um, yeah, look, we could all laugh and hang shit on Chelsea all night, but yeah, we've, we'll move on to other things. Um, I suppose we'll get we'll get uh, dive into your life a little bit, Scott. Um, your Arsenal connection and things like that. How how did you come to be an Aussie supporting Arsenal? How did that all come about? I didn't really have a choice. I mean, it was it was a family thing. Um, I've got a Maltese background. Anyone who's ever been to Malta, almost like there's an invisible line down the middle of the country. You either watch Italian football, watch Italian TV, like Italian food, or English football, English TV, English food. My grandfather happened to fall on the English side of the island um, was a giant Gunners fan and and put that into me like quite young. He he taught me to love the club. 
he'd always make time to watch the club with me when we could. And and then I've managed to go over and watch them a few times. I've watched them play, God, it's four countries now and hopefully growing. I'd like to see him in a couple more. It's just, it's been a whirlwind, man. I've enjoyed some really good moments as an Arsenal fan. Um, seen them tour down under, which was a highlight. Uh, but there's also been some pretty dark ones as well, some dark times, the end of the Wenger era, the the fan infighting, missing Champions League for so long. But, yeah, it's been a journey, but one that I owe to my grandfather. Yeah. Um, yeah, I wish, I wish we could complain about a, a journey that bad, Dimmy. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Imagine them dark times. Oh, be, yeah, I still have to wear my glasses. The dark times would be that bright. <laughs> um, so when, when you were sort of growing up and mm. you're following the club and that, who, who's been your favourite player? Over the journey, um, no, no one for me. I, I think will ever eclipse Thierry Henry. To me, just one of the most complete footballers I've seen. The skill, the ego, the arrogance. I love the fact that at every point of the game, he thought he was better than who he was up against, and he could take a game by the scruff of the neck, like. That separated him for me. He could do it all. Not the, not the greatest in the air. That was probably his one weakness. But with feet that good, why waste energy jumping? Like he, he was just a magician, absolute magician for me. Yeah. And he, even during that era as well, it's not like they were a get it out wide and cross it in. Like mm. with who they had, like um, Freddie Lundberg and mm. Perez and, and all that. Yeah, Perez and all them players like that. Even Bergkamp to an extent. Like they were... They were exactly the same type of player. They love the ball at their feet, make them yeah. talk and pass and move. And that whole sort of the way they played was very sort of complementary to each other because they all sort of like doing that as well. So um, hopefully you might see our our new version of Thierry Henry, Dimmy. Um, we have made some – I made a, I made a comparison, I don't know, maybe a couple of months ago that um, – Isaac, is it Isaac or Isaac? Did we have? Could we not have that? I think out it's yet? Isaac with I as in, is in my brown eye. Pupil. I your pupil, so yeah. Isaac pupil, yes. Yeah, yeah. So I I made the comparison because I used to I used to love um, Chirinu as well. One of my favourite Premier League goals was that one against Man United when he had his back to go and he flicks it, and sort of oh, and volleys it over his shoulder, and, and Schmeichel sort of just stands there like, what the hell was going on there? So I reckon that it probably is my favourite non-Newcastle goal in the Premier League that, that I've ever seen. So I do – I did like Thierry Henry growing up watching him play as well, and I think um, with Isaac as well, I've got – I see a lot of similarities in the way he plays to, to how Thierry Henry played as well. He loves the ball at his feet. He loves running at defenders. He's sort of got the long the long frame and the skinny legs and, and stuff like that. And it, his heading's also not probably his strongest attribute with – Especially the size, I think. How big is he, Dimmy? Is he he's six quite three tall, or six four? Yeah, Isaac's yeah. six four. He's six four. He's a big yeah. boy. Yeah, so yeah, you think yeah, well, a lot of our taller players, you think they'd be a real threat from set pieces, which is the complete opposite because none of them can head the ball. <laughs> but, um, still young though. I mean, he's still got time to develop that skill. Whereas Omri kind of came into it a bit later. Like he he'd done his yeah. development. He knew what he was good at. You've got yeah. he's still got time. I, I like Isaac. Yeah, yeah. Well, he's only he's just turned twenty three, hasn't he, Demi? Mm. I'm pretty sure his birthday yep. was at the start of the year. So, yeah, and I think I did read some kind of comparisons that Henri come into the Premier League maybe one or two years later than yeah. what he said. Anyway, so 
He has well, got already Scott will know better than us, but Henri probably not made a name for himself, but he was always a, a big name coming through at Monaco and coming through in France, and he was sort of the, the next Juve. big thing. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah, remember, so, I mean, you've got to remember, we signed him from Juve, where he was playing out on the wing, but Arsene Wenger, who, who had an eye, like for all his faults, he had an eye for some real talent. He saw this guy as a striker and he wanted him there. He persuaded him and the rest is history. But I think you've got to kind of be careful with Isaac as well. Like you don't want to kind of do what Manchester United fans are doing with Anthony Martial. Um, Cause I'm sure we can agree on that. We probably all hate that lot. Yeah. <laughs> they were telling us that Martial was the reincarnation of Henri for a long time, putting unnecessary pressure on, on him. Oh, you know no. what I mean? Like there's, there's something there with Isaac and, I think he's in a good place for that to continue developing. Yeah. It's, it's going to take some time. And I think, you know, if you can get him to be even half as good as Omri was, you've bagged yourself a player. That's a Yeah. Shame. Yeah. I don't think it was – it wasn't more he's going to be the next Thierry on we Just some of the it's way – yeah, His yeah, attributes yeah, yeah. And, and the way he played, you're like, oh, I can see a little bit of Thierry Henry here, which mm. which is a frightening thing because, yeah, obviously he was he's one of the greatest players to ever play in the Premier League. Um. Anyway, Scott, we'll move on, I guess, to the the Arsenal side of the season. How have you sort of – what's your views on the season so far and how have you sort of thought about it as an Arsenal fan? I think you've got to kind of look at it two ways. I mean, ultimately, uh, I'll put it on the table now, I don't think we win the Premier League. Um, I think we did a lot of damage in those three games, the Liverpool, Southampton, West Ham. I think it was it was lost there. Moving forward on that judgment, I would say, yeah, a disappointing end to the season. Um, because if it's in your hands at a later point of the season, yeah, you're going to be disappointed not to win it. I know Man City are a, are a different beast. We, we all know that. But it was in our hands. And it stopped being in our hands against West Ham, Southampton and Liverpool on the back of a 2-0 lead. Um, yeah. So yeah, d- disappointment. There's a tinge of disappointment, but when I step back and look at the season as a whole, my minimum expectation for this year was to qualify for the Champions League. And on our show, I said I don't care how we do it, whether it's top four or winning the Europa. We've done it already, and we've got into a title battle, and we've se- I've seen a lot of personal growth in some players who I'd almost written off. So when I look at the season as a whole, I'm quite proud of the season so far. But when I look at this last section of the season, man, it's tinged with disappointment, tinged with it. And I don't know about bottle jobs. I don't think that's the right term. Um, but certainly buckled under pressure, I would say. that, And that's that's the next step for us. Yeah. See, that I always wrestle with that, Scott, because, like, it's hard. Like, you'd have your... Every fan of every club will have an expectation at the start of mm. the year of where they'd like their club to go. And, oh, Dimmy, we've spoken about it. Most of us Newcastle fans were probably after a top 10 finish, not worry about yeah. relegation and maybe a cup run. I think that was sort of the general consensus through most of the fan base, what they'd be happy with this season. But when you spend, look, for us, for example, most of the season in the top four, and if for some reason we sort of, we bottled it as, as Scott would say, or buckled, sorry, not bottled. We, bu- we yeah. buckled the last few games and we miss out. We end up in Europa league. I, I'd nearly feel as if that's a failure of a season. Like I know 
at, look, you, you do have your expectations at the start of the year, but you do you can vary them after what you've seen a body of work and go, oh, you know what, we're, we're not actually we're a bit better than a top ten side now. So let's let's aim a bit higher, and then I don't think you can come back and go, oh well, you know we we're, oh, we're going to be happy with a top ten finish at the start of the year. I think you can sort of adjust and and sort of float on your your expectations and what you think was going to happen. So. Well, I'm sure you'd be the same, mate. If we missed out on Champions League, I reckon you'd be a bit devo, wouldn't you? Yeah, I think it's right because you, you got you got a taste of it, and and similar to what Scott and Arsenal fans are feeling. And like I was saying before before the show, I've got a lot of Arsenal fans in the family, and a lot of good mates who follow Arsenal, and they're all saying the same thing. Look, the start of the season, you take Champions League, and you'd be happy with mm. with fourth or or however you make Champions League, but. When you get so close, and when you sort of, you can see the finish line, and you're and you're that close, it, it would, it would hurt, and probably, mm. in the cold hard light of day, maybe it doesn't hurt as much. But obviously, right now for Arsenal fans and Touchwood, it doesn't happen with us. But if if we were to to buckle, it it would definitely hurt, and it would it would sting, especially because you've been there for the whole season. You, you, your expectations can change, and. It's it's right to change your expectations. You you don't want to set the bar too low if mm. if you get on a good run or, or something happens and there's an opportunity there. And I'm sure Arsenal didn't start the season thinking we're going to be challenging Manchester City for the for the title. But things happen. You get in good form and you you alter your expectations. And there's nothing wrong with that. So yeah. for me, I don't want us to drop now. Like I don't want I don't want to be losing multiple games before between now and the end of the season. Because we're better than that, and that would tell me that they kind of gave up and checked out. I want them to fight for every stage. And you you boys watch enough Premier League to know no one has a divine right to do anything in this league. This is, for me, the most competitive, most difficult league in the world. There are no easy trips, as Southampton and West Ham showed us. Yeah, there are no exactly. easy games. Yeah. You're fighting for a place in the Premier League, the richest league in the world. You're going to fight to the death. We've just seen Leeds bringing Allardyce in a desperate yeah. role of the guy. Like, it, it is, there's no divine right in this league and anything could happen to any of our clubs. But I think looking at how both of us have fared, which is probably above what our minimum expectation was, you have to then also hold a certain standard. For me, we've got to stay in the fight till the very last match. And for you, I, I would be bitterly disappointed as a Newcastle fan if you don't hold top four because you're doing all the right things. It would take a catastrophic slip to lose it. Yeah, yeah, and that's why I think that that the expectation should be adjusted. Like, mm. if we don't get it, you can't at the end go, "Oh, yeah, well, I was happy with the top ten at the start." I don't think it works like that anymore. I think you should be disappointed if you sort of get through it to a point and go, "You know what? I thought we were going to be there, but you just miss out." But even on Arsenal, what? So you mentioned the them sort of Southampton, West Ham, and Liverpool draws, which, like you said, effectively probably have cost you. The chance to win it all. What, what, like, what happened? Was it a injury? Like, did you get a few injuries? Was it form? Was it a few games and you didn't quite have that squad depth to to sort of have the quality to rotate like a Man City do? What, what happened in them three games? I hate blaming injuries. I hate blaming injuries outside of something like catastrophic with like six defenders all doing ACLs or something. But we didn't have anything catastrophic. We, we lost Tommy Yasu. If you go into a season relying on him to play the full thing, that's naive and stupid. Um, we then lost William Saliba, who 
was playing really good football. The partnership between him and Gabriel Megalayash was was one that kept us a lot more sturdy. Losing Saliba, you bring Rob Holding in, who quality-wise is not at the level to be in a title-challenging team. But also, to be fair to him, he hadn't had 20 games, 30 games prior to build chemistry and be involved in actual matches with the team. It's a lot different training with the squad than playing with the squad. Um, so it was a lot of depth. And unfortunately for us, there is with Arsenal lots of growth, but there's also a naive aspect to how we do some business. We have awful trouble selling players, awful trouble selling players. It's always loans or installments of, you know, 20 pence for 58 years. It's ridiculous the way we sell. And then... Why is that, Scott? Mate, I I wish I could tell you, is it... Is it the asking price is too high when when a buying club comes in or what is that? I think it's a little bit of that. It's also the fact that we have been quite generous in the past in terms of contracts with some players who maybe haven't deserved them. I mean, I use Eddie and Keddie as a prime example. Hadn't been good enough to to be our second choice striker. Had one good purple patch at the end of last season when his contract was about to expire. We gave him Thierry Henry's number. We gave him six figures on his contract and signed him up. Like, that to me is naive. Arsenal spent you know, 30-something million on Fabio Vieira. I would happily see you boys suiting up in the middle of the park rather than Fabio Vieira <laughs> for us. Like, with that 30 million on him, do you buy two more experienced, older players? For example, a Jorginho, who we got for 12 million, great business, and build your depth. Have guys who are experienced, who know the league. I just think it's that. We, we just didn't use the funds we had wisely enough to build a squad. We built a team and that team has got us here, which is brilliant. Now for next season, thinking ahead, we need to not build a team. We've got that. We need to build a squad because we'll have Champions League football to contend with. Yeah. So that's actually fun. That was my next question. What what do you think you need to to do to take the next step for next year? But I think we're in we're in a similar boat, aren't we, Dimmy? Yeah. Yeah, exactly right. I mean we're probably not at the same level in terms of the quality of our first eleven. Obviously, the team as a whole is performing probably greater than some of its parts. I think that's the same. So individually, we probably still. I'll go with it. Yeah. Individually, we still need to probably improve on a couple of the first eleven players. But but Scott's right. If if we do make Champions League as well, we're going to need to improve the depth and significantly as well. And that's where it's going to take a smart football director or, or a smart scout team to find the right fits for European football, which is going to be completely different to Premier League football, which it is different to, European, uh, to Premier League football, but also to find enough experience in your squad so when the games come thick and fast or there's big pressure moments like there is at this time of the season or there's a cup final or there's a, a two-legged game that you're playing in, you need to have those solid experienced professionals who just know how to get the job done and, and that takes time to build build that but you have to somehow balance the fact that you want to get the perfect starting 11 maybe two or three off the bench but you have to balance that fact to have enough off the bench to get you through a full not 38 game season with champions league and cup games it's 55 probably 60 games yeah we hope 
Yeah. Yeah, we hope. Well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's it. I think – so I think I can see. I know we're, only one position obviously separates us on the table, but – and and but points that you probably obviously got a few more points than what we do, but I think our needs are, are very similar in terms of, of mm. the squad. Like we both need to sort of fatten up our squads a little bit with a bit more quality. But I think, um, especially for us, and and Scott, I probably think you guys would be the same a little bit. That it's fine to bring in players, but I think when when you go into a, a major European competition like this, I think you can't discount that Champions League experience as well. Like you do have a few of them old heads who who can be on the pitch and just, I guess, control things a little bit more. Like I'd imagine if, if we do make it, that the first game at home, the first 20 minutes will be like chooks with our head cuts off. Like heads, head chooks with our head cuts off, head cuts. I can't even say that. I'm not even going to try and say it anymore. But you just need that old head out there. We, like Obviously, we've got Kieran Trippier, but I think that's about it, who have had Champions League experience. So I think it's going to be important to, to get a few more of them old heads in there just to yep. – sort of get control of, of the game and the occasion and things like that and try and keep guys on the straight and narrow. Yeah, 100%. 100% you, I think both our teams, again, like I've said, both on a similar trajectory, both kind of on a similar journey. We've both got young managers who have probably outperformed their expectations. We've both got really good starting teams. We've got some leaders. I would probably say we've got a tiny bit more leadership in our starting 11 than you guys. I think a lot of yours falls on to Trippier, um, whereas we've kind of got Xhaka in there. We've got Zinchenko in there. Uh, Erdegaard is is our captain as well. So I think we're probably edging you a bit in the leadership, um, but you're exciting as well, and I think you're absolutely right. You need a squad if you're going to make a run in the Champions League. Um, and I would love to see both our clubs make a run in the Champions League. I, I couldn't even imagine St. James's Park on a Champions oh, League. Night it don't oh. mess it up, boys. I have a soft spot for Newcastle. I, li- <laughs> I like Newcastle. Um, don't mess it up. I'd rather you there than a lot of other clubs behind. No, yeah. And I think as, as we well, yeah, so do we. But even you got to like you want to make sure you've got cover and that experience mm. for the Champions League. But at the same time, you can't take your eye off the Premier League. That's your bread no. and butter. And you still got to perform. Like we've seen a few teams this year sort of stumble in the Premier League. And it is part of that, the European stuff that's going on as well. Like I think of West Ham, um, Liverpool to an extent, Chelsea as well, where their, their Premier League form has sort of really dropped off with the Europe. Is it the European stuff? Because... I mean, a lot of them have had similar squads, same managers and things like that. Yep. So well, maybe not Chelsea. They've they've gone through a couple already. But, um, yeah, yes, yeah. so I, th- I think it's important just to keep your eye on the ball and remember where your, your bread's buttered too. Um, with regards to Arsenal, um, who's been your player of the season? I think you guys have got five games left as well, the same as us now. Who's? It's probably a fair, fair amount of games to make a judgment on that. Yeah, I think so. And it would be hard to go past Bakayo Saka. I think that he's just been electric. Even coming back from the World Cup, his form has just been tops. Um, I'll have a couple of honourable mentions, though. Granite Xhaka, bit of a redemption arc for me. He's a player who I was adamant at the end of last season. I wanted him gone. I didn't care what Roma offered. I wanted him out. But he's really stood up. He's He's tried to and mainly has eliminated that stupidity and aggressiveness from his game that gets him into trouble. He's led, I've seen him lead without an armband, 
and he's been Mr. Consistent. He, he's played practically every match. So it would be Saka with honourable mentions to Granite Xhaka and Martin Odegaard as well. Captain, he, he's been brilliant, the captain. Yeah. Do you think, with, with regards to Saka, do you think that World Cup sort of elevated him a little bit more where he got to play on that bigger stage and he's sort of got the confident, more confident in himself to say, yeah, hey, I can hang with the big boys now. Like, I am I am that guy. I, I think so. And, I mean, look, us, you asked Arsenal fans about Bakaya Saka. We were singing his praises anyway. Yeah, um, yeah. He like, yeah, don't get me wrong. He wasn't like a, but he wasn't I think a potato he, before the World Cup. but He earned respect. From yeah. the footballing community, because you'd always have these conversations around Foden and Rashford and Bellingham, but no one would want to talk about Saka or didn't feel he was kind of worthy of being in that in that circle. I even so, you know, people talking about Jaden Sancho in those conversations. But yeah. I think he kind of stood up and showed the whole world, particularly with how he bounced back from the Euros and that whole kerfuffle at the end. He showed that he he's a player, and he seems very well respected by his England teammates as well. Um, and I think he's just his reputation is going to continue to rise because he's got a good head on his shoulders. He's not, you know, he's he's the kind of character you want around your club. Yeah, and I like even with the Euros, like he wasn't obviously, Dimmy. I don't know about you. Probably followed. I don't know if Greece made it or not, but like I did yeah, take yeah, it. Yeah. Like we sort of follow England in the European competitions mm. because. Um, or, or my sort of dad's side of the family live over there and stuff like that. So I do have a connection sort of to him. And, like, I thought his Euros were really good. And it's I find mm. it kind of frustrating that that one sort of incident sort of overshadows his whole tournament. Like, it's a really unfair thing. Like, at the end of the day, they're a lottery. Like, it, it's – anything can happen. And I think you learn more about a player over the course of a tournament rather than a one isolated incident. And yeah. Yeah, I just find it unfair that they, look, not just him, Harry Kane's copped it as well for some of his misses for England too. And yeah, it's just, it's not fair. I know it's like a big moment and things like that, but it is, it's part of its potluck. I know there is a a bit of a sort of method to a penalty and things like that and the, the gamesmanship and, and all that, but it is luck at the end of the day. Yeah. Like you might absolutely flush one and the keeper might get a fingertip on it and push it onto the post. And what, well, we can't do anything about it. Like he shouldn't, he shouldn't be tarnished. Not t- tarnished might not be the right word, but he shouldn't be sort of hung shit on because of one incident when his actual whole tournament was really, really good. Mm-hmm. I mate, couldn't have said it better myself. Yeah. Um. Anyway, we'll get to. We've got uh, an Arsenal team here. I'll just bring that up now. Um. Now I believe this was the team that played this this morning, Scott. Um. Do you want to go through that quickly for our? sort of viewers and our audio listeners as well? Yeah, it was pretty close to this morning's team. Um, Trossard started in place of Martinelli this morning and Jorginho started uh, in place of Thomas Party this morning. So I've put both those guys back into the starting lineup. Um, this is the team that I think Arteta goes with. Yeah. It was up to me. It would be a little bit different. Um, <laughs> but Gabriel... It's going to come down to whether or not he's fit because he did come off late in the game with a bit of a hamstring strain. He was struggling a little bit in the last 15 minutes. I don't know why we kept him on for so long, but I'm actually thinking he won't be there. So if Gabriel's not there, you're looking at a centre-back pairing of uh, Jakob Kivior, who was really good this morning, and then Rob Holding. 
Now, if Rob Holdings there, again, good bloke, loyal, works his backside off, but hasn't had, A, the time to gel with the way we play and also isn't quite up to the technical level required for these kinds of matches. So that's certainly a weakness. Ben Weidel starts. Zinchenko is, you know, set in stone for Mikel Arteta. And then you've got Martinelli and Saka on the wings, Erdegaard pulling the strings of the attack with Gabby Jesus and Xhaka and Thomas Party behind. That's that's what I'm expecting to see. Um, Dimmy, I'll, I'll come to you first, mate. What, um, what What's your concerns with this lineup? What are you worried about? Oh, it's it's got to be probably the the wingers. Um, I remember the game at the Emirates. Saka did have some early joy against Big Dan Byrne, but I think Byrne recovered half decently and it wasn't a complete shit show for the rest of the ninety minutes. But <laughs> I think that has to be that has to be probably the concern that the quick transitions or counter attacks with with Saka and Martinelli. I think that. Our midfield probably stacks up decently. Our midfield stacks up decently with most teams. And obviously, they're, if their defence, if Gabriel doesn't play, I'm not too concerned about scoring against that back four. They have, Arsenal have been leaking goals lately. I mean, they conceded three goals against Southampton lately. West Ham scored a couple. So not too concerned about the back four. It's probably the the, the wingers that would probably keep keep me up at night or keep, keep Eddie up at night trying to work out how we're going to curtail them. Scott, is that you sort of echo them thoughts? Yeah, mate. Look, our goals come from out wide. Um, we don't have, you know, Jesus isn't a kind of target man who you're going to drilling aerial crosses for all game. If, if we're going to find joy against you, it's going to come through Saka or Martinelli. If Martinelli doesn't start, you've got Trossard there who's equally dangerous. Um, so I'm, I'm happy with whoever starts on that left. But... You've also got to be mindful, I guess, if I was um, Eddie Howe, I wouldn't just be thinking about Saka and Martinelli. I'd be thinking about Zinchenko and Ben White because Ben White and Saka have superb chemistry. The the overlapping and the way they find each other in the tightest of spaces, that's something you'll need to worry about. No, I'm, I'm confident about them up against uh, Dan Byrne. So I think we'll be okay on that side. Zinchenko... Brilliant attacker, defensively has been at fault for many goals. He's going to invert himself. This is how we've had so much success. He is going to shift into the middle, which is going to leave you a lot of space down that left-hand side. Um, I see you scoring in this game. I don't see us keeping a clean sheet. And I think you're going to find joy if you attack Zinchenko down that side because if he's in position, which is rare defensively, He's not the world's greatest defender, but Zinchenko and Rob Holding, that's the side I'm attacking if I'm um, Eddie Howe. Yeah, um, that's that's really interesting. So I'll bring I'll bring our team up. Mm. Dimmy, if you want to – do you want me to go through that, mate, or you, you want to go through it? Yeah, so we had uh, – obviously the back forwards speak to themselves. I think Byrne has bought himself another couple of weeks. Not that he was awful for, for this season. He's been fantastic, but – had a bit of a blip against Aston Villa, but he's bought himself another couple of weeks since then. So the back four will be as as usual. Burn, Botman, Cher, Trippier, Popey and goals. The midfield's going to be the 
the question for me, we're not too sure as it stands now if, if Long is going to play. If Longstaff plays, I think we could see a, sh- a shift. Obviously, Longstaff comes in if he's fit. I think then Joe Linton will go out to the left and potentially Isaac would start up front and maybe Wilson would drop to the bench. That, that's what I'm thinking. But assuming Longstaff doesn't play, I've gone with Joe Linton, Willick and Bruno in the middle with... Isaac on the left with Callum Wilson finally to start their first game together. And I've gone with Murphy at right wing. It's not with confidence, but I just think that, again, Eddie, we know Eddie well. He doesn't change winning teams. Miggy has had a fantastic season. Obviously, he's been out injured and back on the bench of late, but probably Murphy deserves his starting position, at least at least for the first half against against the Gunners. Yeah, for sure. And he look, he's done nothing wrong, has he, to... Nah. To warrant being dropped and and for Miggy to come back in the side, but I'm I'm really fascinated as to how this is going to play out for us anyway, because like you said, there, there's so many different ways that this could fall, which could completely shift the way we play and how we set up and things like that. And who would have thought? Oh man, not even like six months ago. Sean Longstaff could could just really just change everything of the way that Newcastle set up. It's actually a well, you could have paid anyone any amount of money to to come up and actually believe him when they said that. Um, so I yeah, even with Isaac and Wilson or Isaac and Wilson, like it's just do you play them together? There's a punch coming off the bench. Like, do you lose that sort of punch coming off the bench if you need to change things up? Whether it's to win the game or um, just protect the game. If if Isaac comes off and Wilson plays you more of a traditional number nine where hold the ball up, draw a foul, um, get us back up the pitch a little bit more. Like, do you lose that? I've been sort of contemplating it all week of, of how to do it. I Personally, I'd probably start him off again. I know it's it's really, really it's harsh, but I'd start, him, I'd, I'd start him on the bench again because I, I feel it's working well. And he does, he's, like, he's scored a brace the last two games he's come off the bench and it seems an absolutely preposterous thing to say to start him after another brace and probably pulled us out the shit against Southampton. Not probably, he definitely did pull us out the shit against Southampton, but I just think we lose, we sort of lose the ability to, to change things if we need to yeah. later on in the game. Well, well, you're right there. There's nothing wrong with being an impact player off the bench. It's actually a very important position and all the great teams over the years, all, all around world football have had that impact player off the bench. I don't want to mention the, they call it the Teddy Sheringham. I don't want to mention any Man United player, but that, that's sort of the role. Solskjaer that, as well, but yeah. Solskjaer. That's sort of the role that you, you talk about off the bench, half an hour, 25 minutes, impact, score, and and do it again. It, it, it's harsh on Wilson. I mean, he's got, he's got to be thinking, yeah. geez, I'm playing 35 to 45 minutes a week. I'm scoring basically a goal, at least a goal, if not two goals <laughs> per 40 minutes, yeah. and I can't get a start. It's it's harsh on him, but as long as you've got the buy-in from Wilson, it, it, it doesn't throw a spanner in the works, and obviously we're getting the results. So Eddie can turn back and say, look, we're winning games. It's working. Why change what's working? So it, it is it is a conundrum, and who knows how Eddie's going to go. I, just, I would just love to see, for once, us start that way, and look, if it doesn't work, you can take one of them off or you can mix it up and, and, and change it in the second half. But it just seems to me I, Isaac is showing a lot of signs being a, 
a natural, more natural wide player than he's a natural center forward. He he loves dribbling. He loves getting on the ball. And similar to, obviously, Henri was a striker in terms of the Henri comparison, but Henri did also come from the flanks in and he loved picking the ball up wide and dribbling in, cutting in, mm-hmm. shooting. So Isaac seems to have a good connection with Wilson. So that that could be a, a spanner in the works for us not to worry about. Yeah, which is it's interesting because you think two blokes competing for the same position wouldn't look for each other, and but it's Hate a complete. Op- yes. Yeah, they actually purposely look for each other, and they've actually assisted a lot of each other's goals as well, which is good. But it's interesting that when you bring up sort of the second half and things like that, I was doing a bit of digging tonight after work, and um, got a couple of interesting stats here that twenty two percent of Newcastle's goals this season have come after the seventy fifth minute. So. Um, that does show with our fitness and, and things like that, that we do run out games and d- do we lose that if Wilson starts the whole game and then we don't get that punch off that scoring threat off the bench as well. But on the other side, Arsenal have conceded 28% of their goals between the 60th minute and the 75th minute. So there is sort of, when you, when you sort of look at them together, there is an opportunity for us to sort of get at them and, and hit the score sheet in the second half. I think that first half is going to be, could decide the game really because, I mean, if Arsenal get on top and get some goals and we, we don't score, I mean, it's going to be hard to come back. Conversely, if we can hold firm and and maybe pinch one in the first half, there's every chance we're going to win the game given when when we score and stuff like that. And I think it was it was similar to that first game at the Emirates, I think, from memory. I mean, the first part of the first half, we did a lot of defending and and we sort of held firm. I remember even our group chat, the first 20 minutes, we are like, oh, shit, this is going to be a bloodbath. And Saka was running riot. And <laughs> like, how are we going to get out of this? But we sort of got a, a foot in the game a little bit and sort of got control a little and got out of it with a nil-nil. But it could – I think it's – I did read that um, it's the first time – this could be the first time that Newcastle have kept a – two clean sheets against Arsenal the same year since 85, 86. So they've never, they've never done that. And that was in division one. So it hasn't happened for a long time if it, if it does happen. And I don't think they've gone unbeaten since Arsenal since 2010, 2011, I think it was, was the last time that. I usually Arsenal, enjoy playing you. Yeah. Yeah. Arsenal <laughs> failed to beat Newcastle in a season. Um, so there is, yeah. Having said all that. Um, so you think, Arsenal can win by getting down the flanks, Scott, and um, sort of getting it burn and, and Trippier to an extent. Dimi, I'll ask you, mate, how can Newcastle win this game? It's a great question. I think where we're going to get on top of Arsenal, I think, is going to be our intense sort of pressing that we have done to many teams at home. And Obviously, it's going to be a massive game for, for Arsenal, but it's a massive game for us as well. It's going to be a heaving crowd. I think we can... Arsenal's not the most experienced team to come to St. James's Park. It's not a... We're not playing a Manchester City who have been there, done that. We're, we're playing a team who's still got a lot of young players who are not learning, but young players sort of <clears throat> growing into this sort of position at the top of the table. So... I think a good early a good early press from us and sort of getting the crowd on side could really rattle Arsenal. And obviously, we all know what happened at the end of last season when when we knocked them over two 0 and sort of ended ended Arsenal's Champions League hopes. So that could be in the back of the mind of of the Gunner players. And if we start well, maybe like you said, pinch pinch a goal or at least 
be level early at half time, it might really start to play in the minds of the Arsenal players. And I think with the the crowd factor, I think that's going to be a massive a massive factor for us to to get the chocolates on 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 uh, Sunday night. Yeah, it's going to be it's going to be a blockbuster. I know it's easy to say and it's a sort of easy thing with the second versus third, but the way that both teams play and with us at home, we are a, a different beast at home with the crowd behind us. Um, yeah, I'm really looking forward to the game and it could go a long way to shape our Champions League hopes as well. I think we've sort of worked out seven points from our last five games will guarantee it. Um, assuming that Liverpool win all their games, most of us think that Liverpool are the, the biggest threat to the top four. Um, we're, we're happy with fourth. It's not really, you don't have to do the qualification stuff anymore. So fourth gets you in automatically, which I mean, we'll all be happy with fourth. So, yeah, I mean, if we can win, if we can manage to win this one, I mean, we've only got to beat Leicester and Leeds and get a draw out of, um, is it Brighton and Chelsea, one of their yeah. games. So, yeah, it, it is a massive game for us. If we can manage to pull off the win, I reckon it would just about be there. With it's Leeds the next week, isn't it? Yeah, Leeds, yeah. Leeds next week and and then a couple, a couple of home games, I think. And then yeah. we're, uh, we're Brighton's a, Yeah, Brighton's the... Midweek game thrown in Leicester, yeah, after. Leicester. I think Leicester, Brighton, and then we finish with the, the Chelsea. Chelsea game. Yeah, so yeah, yeah it's going to be a massive game. Um, before we finish, Scott, we like to get a, a score prediction from from each person on the podcast. <coughs> so, being the guest, we'll give you the honors to go first. Dare say mine will be a little bit different to yours, boys. Um, I'm expecting goals. I'm expecting a lot of goals. I think. You're going to try and press us really aggressively and it's going to be how we respond to that because I have seen us play some really intricate passing to play ourselves out of a press and hit teams on the counter. And that's what, you know, I'm, I'm thinking we're capable of doing. But if we can control possession and make our team defend as little as possible, I think we, we can do something here. But ultimately... The injury to Gabriel, if he's out, I think makes us just too vulnerable. I'm actually going for two-all draw. I think both teams score. Um, I think a draw is where I'm seeing this going. Demi? Yeah, so sim- different result, but similar thinking to Scott. I, I think both teams are going to score. I think it's going to be, be a really good game. It's not going to be one of those dire, nil-nil defensive defensive yeah. sort of rubbish football games. Both teams want to express themselves and play at a high intensity. And, and obviously both teams are desperate for the three points. Probably Arsenal potentially more so than us in terms of them chasing City. But obviously we're, we're pushing for as many points as quickly as we can to get to get our top four hopes secured. So I think it's going to be a, a humdinger and I'm going to go for a 2-1 victory. I'm going to say it's going to be one all at half time. And then we're going to bring Callum Wilson off the bench. Actually, I've said he started. Or oh, scratch that. Someone's going to come off the bench. Miggy's going to come off the bench and score. <laughs> no, I'll go two one. I'll go two one Newcastle. I think I'll stick with that. But I'll go with yeah. Miggy Almiron to score the winner off the bench. Yeah, right. Um, I'm actually with with you, Scott. I was thinking at Desmond as well. I, I just think our we're we're scoring freely in our last few games, but we haven't kept a clean sheet for a few weeks as well. So I do think that. We do have that lapse and, and an error against sort of teams who haven't been as great. I mean, you think, like Everton aren't great and we let them score from a corner and, and things like that. So we do have that. 
sort of error in us, but against a better team, I think we'll get punished a bit more than than what Everton do. They're they're pretty shit, to be honest. So, um, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if they went down after watching ninety minutes of that shit. I couldn't imagine watching it for thirty three games so far. But um, yeah, I'm with you, mate. I'm, I'm going to go for a Desmond two two. Um, yeah, I think there's going to be goals in it, but I just I think we'll sort of cancel each other out with our attack and your attack. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, that's just the way I see it um, going. But uh, before we leave, mate, do you want to give your podcast a, a plug as well while we're on? Yeah, sure. The channel's called It's a Football Thing. Um, if you go on YouTube and search IFT Pod, uh, you'll be able to find the channel. We go live every Monday, Monday evening our time, Monday morning UK time. It's myself, a Chelsea fan, and a Manchester United fan. So. Three long-term mates just trying to make sense of this Premier League and put a bit of shit in each other, basically. So, yeah, feel free to jump over. We've got a few Newcastle fans in the chat all the time who uh, give us a bit of support, so we'd love to see some more in the chat. Yeah, absolutely. So if you listen to that, um, you want to sort of Premier League wrap up from three Aussie blokes who love talking shit about it and they won't make any sense of it because that is an impossible task to make sense of the English Premier League on a weekly basis. There's mm. bad shit going on and weird shit going on everywhere. Um, sort of, it's probably a bit late now, but if you have, you haven't made it this far on the video, um, give us a like and comment on YouTube, um, on uh, your, your podcast provider as well. Leave a review. That really helps us as well. We're still trying to figure out the whole algorithm stuff probably like you are scott how to get ourselves out there more and get more people engaged with us and in the channel and, and things like that um check us out on all the socials um tune under pod or at tune under pod on uh instagram twitter and uh facebook as well uh, that just about wraps us up dimmy thanks for your time tonight guy cheers mate scott uh, it's been a pleasure having you mate really appreciate you jumping on after a uh, early start we know how long them days can be when you get up early, but they are made a little bit better with a win and the, sort of the opportunity to trawl through content during the day, which puts a smile on your face, which is always right. it's always good and does make the day go a bit quicker. So um, once again, mate, thanks again for your time. I appreciate you jumping on and giving us uh, your views from an Arsenal side. Pleasure, mate. Always nice to link up. Um, hopefully we can get you boys on the channel at some point too and have a bit of a yarn. Yeah, for sure, mate. Absolutely, we'd be up for that. Um, thanks, everyone, for watching and listening. Uh, we'll be back Monday night for a review. Hopefully, it's a super positive one for us anyway about the Arsenal game and our push for an unlikely but deserved uh, Champions League spot next year. So thanks, everyone, and uh, we'll see you next time. See ya.